Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm so excited that you're joining us today, and if you're listening live, if this is unusual, a Friday afternoon show, but we have a really special guest today, and we wanted to accommodate her schedule, so that's why we're at a different date and time, although I don't even know if I announced that, <laughs> other than thinking it in my head, so so sorry if you... I uh, didn't get that announcement, and you're kind of wondering, where's the show? Where's the show? But we are here and ready to go. Before we get started with the show today, I want to thank uh, the folks who came out for my course last Thursday in Louisville. I had a great time seeing the hometown therapist, my friends, so that was a lot of fun. And then we had an equally wonderful time the next day in Indianapolis, despite about seven inches of snow, which is unusual for a southern girl like me so had a great great time and if you were at one of those events thank you so much it was just a great way to end this fall conference season all right today's guest is kim rowe who's a speech language pathologist and her website is wonderful it's called the little stories Um, and she is here today to talk about one of her favorite topics which is rotating toys and keeping toys fresh and how to make sure that you are maximizing your play opportunities with your children. And this will be all children, but especially our little guys with speech-language delays. And and we're going to talk about why toy rotation is important and, again, how it really um, facilitates better and deeper and richer play experiences. So before I keep blabbing on, Kim, I'm so happy that you've joined me for today's show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yay! All right, so talk to us about toy rotation and just kind of when, when you're talking to a parent about it, how do you broach that subject? What kinds of things do you, that make you start wanting to talk to parents about toy rotation? Well, I worked um, in early intervention, and um, what I kept seeing in every play space that I went to were just too many toys over and over and yeah. over again. And um, so I would, you know, as a good early interventionist, I tried to use the materials that are in the environment. And um, I just kept finding, wow, people have really bad toys and they have so many of them that the kids are just really overwhelmed by them. And um, so I just found that parents really were trying to do the best thing. Obviously, they were buying toys that they thought. um, I find that parents who have um, children with delays, but all parents, they want to buy the best toys for their kids. And especially with marketing the way that it is, I think a lot of parents are kind of fooled into thinking that push-button light-up toys are the best toys. And so I saw saw a lot of those. um, Yeah. And, yeah, um, you you can hear my disgust with that because that's I love how you talk about those too, and you've really named those toys. You have a cute name for those. What do you call those kinds of toys? I call them sclans, I, and I which stands for shapes, colors, letters, and numbers. I I wanted them to kind of have a word that makes them sound not so great. Um, yeah, and just to point out that those toys work on specific concepts, but they don't really encourage good play. And that's what we really want with toys. And so after seeing lots of scans and just seeing way too many toys, I, I started to um, 
one of the first things that I actually do when I work with a family is work on their play space because what I found is that if I wanted parents to carry over um, the types of things that I was working on, if they were always working in a cluttered, overwhelming environment, they weren't going to get anywhere. Oh, I so agree with that. I so agree with that. That's a great, great recommendation for our therapists who are listening who do home visits, yeah. Yeah, and even I've done it even um, even when I see um, children at the uh, a clinic, it's a little bit harder if you're in the yeah. school system. Right. Um, although in the school system, I will you know kind of talk to parents about it. But if I'm in a clinic, right. I might even try to schedule one home visit or just yeah. uh, sit down and have a conversation about about it with a parent. So um, I do too. And I think it's so important, and and this is something that not lots of therapists, especially newer therapists, know to address. Or if therapists have worked a long time, sometimes we get a little bit jaded in <laughs> and get in a little yep. bit of a rut it's, with what we talk is. to parents about. Yeah, and yep. so this is a, I think it's a great topic. And I do appreciate your point of starting here first so that you can be sure that you are setting the stage for really fantastic play. Yep. So what I do, if I'm in a clinic, just to, to let you know, and I'm not going to be in the home environment, what I do with um, is ask parents to um, – to, I just say, I want you to go home and I want you, I, I teach them about sclans and I say, I want you to literally put away everything but 10 toys. And I, I, I tell them, I want you to bring those 10 toys next time and, and kind of think about what you've picked. And we kind of go through mm-hmm. them. And, and so that's how I do it with them. And they can usually that's bring great. 10 toys. So, um, so anyway, so even if you're in a clinic or in a school environment, I just kind of wanted to give you some ideas about how you can still yeah. uh, help parents get this moving. So, so then, um, I really get to the nitty-gritty of why I want them to rotate, what are good toys, and, and how to rotate. Let's go back to that 10-toy recommendation. Now, what do you, after you've kind of told the parent, now I don't want you to have any of those push-button light-up kind of crappy toys they are, what kinds of things do you see parents, the kinds of toys then bringing to you? Do you do kind of an education piece before that, Kim, or do you just want to see what shows up with, with what they pick for their 10 toys? You know, I really feel the parent out. I don't. I never want to make a parent embarrassed ever. So right, I always want to set them up for success because parents are already. Right. I mean, they're nervous about their child. They're already feeling insecure if their child has a language delay. I think all of us feel insecure as parents. Are we doing the right thing anyway? Right. Well, it's <laughs> so, a really um, vulnerable place when you take your child, and when you are saying, and I think a lot of, a lot of parents, even well, when I don't want to say even, but sometimes especially really educated moms with higher socioeconomic levels, they almost feel even more vulnerable because they feel like there should have been something I could do to prevent me having to come see you. So they automatically kind of go to that place of guilt before you even start to see them. So when when we do those things, when we even inadvertently embarrass a parent, you know, it, it never goes well. So I no, tell parents all the time, stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be, it, it really takes a lot of forethought. What I might do if I had a mom like that, I might say, you know, um, I, I, I'm sure you have these kinds of toys, um, and I want to I wanna really show you why they're not my favorite. Because I do, the other thing, though, is it's a fine line because you don't ever want to embarrass a parent, but you also want them to see what you're talking about for themselves and really internalize yeah. that lesson because yeah. 
them, you just telling them it, it's not going to be as powerful. So I might ask them right. to bring a, a scan with them and uh-huh. bring a good toy. I would give, maybe give them examples. And then maybe we would use that in our sessions so that they could mm-hmm. see the different type of play that I could right. even model and how much more right. expansive my session can be with a good toy versus a not good toy. That's a great um, point. So that's kind of maybe how I would do it. But, but yes, I, then I would – you know, take the time to, to make sure I educate parents about good toys and not good toys. And um, I, I have a post on my website that is probably my most popular post, which is um, my toy rules. <laughs> so talk about and, those. Go ahead and talk to us about what your toy rules are. Okay. And again, let's remind people about your website. And it's the little stories, not little stories. Because when I typed in little stories, I got quite a different website. Than I <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I haven't checked that. I should check that. I should, yeah, the domain name was not available. I should go back and try to see if I can get it. But, yes, it's thelittlestories.com. Yeah. And um, there, the, the post is called Toy Do's and Don'ts. And um, mm-hmm. so there's five rules. And my first rule, um, which – For some people might be controversial, but I don't think it is. I mean, I think I explain it in a way that people can understand. But my first rule is to not get hung up on gender. Um, And there's a lot out on the Internet (laughs) about, you know, how toys are now marketed as boy toys or girl toys, especially about by the color, which seems silly. But, you know, especially when I was working in the home, I noticed that parents were really reluctant to let a boy play with a doll, for example. Um, (laughs) Or dollhouses, things like that. And yeah. the way that I explain it to parents, especially if you're working in early intervention or you're working at on the early language development side of things, mm-hmm. we're in concrete languageville. I mean, that's where we are. And um, guess what? <laughs> Little ones know. They know about eating, changing their diaper, going to the potty, <laughs> sleeping in beds, mommies and daddies or whatever, yeah. in a house. Those are concrete things yeah. that they do. So... I really think that those are are good toys to start with, and I also just think in general, if it's a good toy, it's a good toy. There's not necessarily boy toys or girl toys. So I try to encourage people not to get hung up on that. I think so, too. And, you know, a lot of times I will feel some reluctance with dads, and I'll just say my own husband, you know, and Johnny and I have been married for 26 years, and our kids are old now, you know, 24, 22, and 17, and he was really, really reluctant to have Jonathan play with dolls. But by the time Tyler... You know, that eased up a little bit. Now, Tyler didn't really know what to do with the dog because kind of lived the experience there uh, until you really kind of model that play, and he was a little bit older when we sort of started that. But a lot, I, I totally get that from a husband-wife perspective, how dads feel about that. And we just kind of have to walk them through it. And I love your example with this is, this is their life. This is, this is what they know. And, and I always say, too, we want boys to learn to be good dads, too. Like, it's just as important. And dads can relate to that. And if I have somebody who is really reluctant and I just don't think it's worth it to – I mean, because I'm not trying – I don't want to tell them how to raise their kid. I'm just trying to get them to right. understand about good play. Sure. But I will use a stuffed animal because yeah, usually that's – you can use a lot of the same behaviors for a stuffed animal as you right. would a doll, which is a good substitution. But um, yeah, my second rule is to one. pick – to pick toys um, that will grow with your child. So I say think years, not months. Um, right. You know, my other thing that I just don't like about sclans are that they target a very small window of development um, right. versus um, 
a dollhouse or a kitchen. You know, um, we've had the same kitchen set with my daughter for a long time. And at first, all she did was open and close the door. (laughs) Then maybe she knew to put a pot on the stove. I mean, now she is having a really complicated party, and she has to make sure that she gets everything in the refrigerator from the grocery store in time so that it can get chilled before she has to make prepare her ingredients. You know, so that – yeah, that type of toy that's much more open-ended is going to last your child for so much longer. And the right. amount of language concepts that you can target, I mean, with a scan, okay, let's think of the like the big offenders. That I have a picture on my website of that that one turtle thing that has letters and I, yeah. I mean, you know, it has all of them. Letters. <laughs> so say say you can get letters, colors, numbers, maybe out of one toy. A kitchen, I mean, really, it's endless. You could be talking about right. fancy, you know, kitchen concepts. So so that's my my second rule. And then the third rule is um, to skip buttons, lights, and sounds, and that goes back to the scans. We want toys that right. don't do much so that the child can do more. Right. Um, simple toys where you push the button doesn't encourage more complex play, and which means less complex language. And right. then, and most um, of our little guys in early intervention, too, really perseverate and for those uh, yes. parents who are listening that just means they get stuck and that's what they want to do over and over and over and I always use the example of you know we it just drives me bananas when I hear a a a a a a a a you know yep because the kid has just again gotten hooked on that little movement, and it can happen for various reasons. There could be some motor issues, so that's really all they can do motor-wise with a toy. It could be that they like the blinky light. It it could be due to a variety of reasons, but so many of the little guys who don't need that kind of toy the most really get so looped into that kind of play. So it's it's so important to explain that parents. That's the key that what I think that last part that you said is that sometimes I think parents see success with those toys because it is a simple thing. The child can push the button and the child can get the repetition that they need in order to be able to maybe say something. So the parent thinks, oh, look, they're learning. The problem is when they're engaged in that type of play that's really not that functional and they're just maybe getting a sound that's not really that functional for them, that's time spent not in really functional play where they could be also getting the amount of repetition that they need for real communication. And so you're robbing them of that opportunity when that's the only kind of toy that they have. And parents don't always think about it that way until we point it out because they think, I'm getting them ready for school. We're going to get ahead of the game here. And I always just want to say, how many times a day does he need to say the letter F or the color purple or octagon? You know, those aren't words that come up. No, and I – The the little – the thing that I always say to parents is like – it, when your child is just starting to have a vocabulary, what is more powerful? If your child walks up to someone and says yellow or walks up to somebody and says apple, what is going to get them what they need more? What is more communicative exactly. or help? And so exactly. I always, if, if you're just starting out, make sure you're really spending your time where it matters on those powerful words, which are not Absolutely. the glands. So anyway, yeah. the rules continue to, to get rid of the glands and then just to remember that less stuff means deeper experiences. And this goes back to, to where um, I talk about just having fewer things. And, and one thing that I haven't mentioned with that is that when there are more toys and they're out and they're visible, children 
in their mind. I mean, you can think about it even in your own environment. It's kind of like you've already played with it, if you can see it. Yeah. Right. um, Or kids will pick it up for one second and move on to the next thing. And so what they end up having are these brief, not very um, complex play exchanges rather than longer, more meaningful play exchanges where they actually begin to have some repetition and have some learning experiences. Right. And so um, so that's another reason why I say remember less stuff means deeper experiences. The more time a child is spending with that dollhouse or with the kitchen, the more they're going to develop more complex language and play around it. I think that's great too. And it's especially important for our little guys with sensory issues who have, some di- who have a difficult time uh, attending long enough or focusing long enough when there's something else there for them to do. They're just so visually distracted that they can barely contain themselves from moving on very, very quickly to that next little thing that's caught the glimmer of their eye. So I, I totally agree with limiting that. And that's a great way That's to a good point. Me. All right. Are you still there? Yes, 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 I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so those are those five rules. I love those. So where do you go from there? So then I kind of I, I tell people those are your rules for um, how you evaluate what is a good toy as far as bringing new toys into your environment. So take them with you when you go shopping or when you make your child's wish list for the holidays, but also when you're going when you're beginning to sort. So I tell people to start your sort, just really simple, get rid of anything that doesn't make the good toy rule list, anything that's not age appropriate, it's too babyish or whatever that you you know gonna use again or if it's broken or junk or whatever. And then we categorize what's left. Well, I love that point, Kim, because don't you go to places, especially daycares, it seems to be a lot of toys, but when you're really looking at what works, there's very little uh, that that really would be a great usable toy. And so I tell moms that all the time, too. Clean it out, get rid of it, give it away so that you can really focus on seeing what you truly, truly have. And some, some parents do really think, again, the whole, I have to fill up every single inch of this child's playroom or they haven't done a good job, again, providing those, something to play with, even if, you know, there's one piece of the puzzle they want to hang on to it, thinking that those other eight pieces will magically appear one day. <laughs> They're not going to. Yeah, chunk it and move on. Yeah. And I really encourage parents and speech therapists, everybody, to look at your play space, whether it's your office, where you're going in the home, whatever. Look at that child's play space. It should be for play, not for toy storage. You need space to play. So there there should be minimal toys there that encourage you to play, but there needs to be surfaces. Not everything needs to be covered because the kids need to be able to move around and play. Exactly. So so then with what you're left with, I um, asked parents to break those down into three categories. And what I did, I mean, we know that there's, you know, different um, types of development as far as cognitive, gross motor, fine motor, all that. But basically, each toy can access many different parts of those development. I kind of break them into three categories just as an easy way to think about them so that people make sure that they have, when they do have what's out, that it kind of accesses the whole child. Mm -hmm. And it's not just too focused on one thing. So I start with thinking toys. And these are things that we tend to do. They tend to target fine motor development and cognitive Mm -hmm. development. So building blocks, puzzles, um, anything that you would build with, art supplies, um, nesting Mm -hmm. cups, things like that, shape sorters. Mm -hmm. 
those are your thinking toys. Okay. Um, next are your moving toys, and these tend to target gross motor movement. So balls, swings, ride on toys. Sometimes this stuff is outside. Sometimes we have certain things inside, um, but mm-hmm. things that move. Um, and then pretending toys, and this is my favorite category. If, if it was up to me, this is probably all I would have. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> that's what I – and I think that's where the language is at, right? I mean, right. that's why we like right. it. Right. So that's your kitchen set, your, you know, ponies, your farm animals, your baby dolls, right. your stuffed animals, all that. Right. Um, and dress-up clothes, which is another important yeah. one. And so mm-hmm. I ask everybody to separate all of their toys into those three categories. And then – and you just – basically what I encourage is to have three things from each category – so that makes nine. Mm-hmm. And then I give them a freebie. And I used to say they could have one scland, but I've gotten tougher on scland because I've just gotten to where I, I can't stand them anymore. And so <laughs> I, Me too. Right? I, I, just, I totally like, discourage them. And I know a lot, of ther- a lot of therapists don't like to hear me say that because they say, Laura, they've spent money on them. I can't go and tell them not to do it. I understand all that. And I know we don't want to step we certainly don't but sometimes we actually are a little bit hypocritical when we don't take a tougher stand if we've already said this is not a good toy for your child and then we oh heaven forbid bring that for a session or you know don't just really again draw that hypothetical line in the sand where we're saying you know I really don't want him to use this at all we, because know, that's we, what the we, child's going to gravitate towards if they really right. are, yeah, I know. And right. so I've just kind of, I have a nine toy, maybe a ten toy, but the ten toy could be something else too that stays out, like the toy piano or the dollhouse or something like that that just tends to, that's going to be maybe the train table or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's great. So so you have your nine to ten toys and you have your other sets and so you, you put their, your nine to ten toys out, and you display them in a way that makes it look like, "Hey, come play with me." Make it really fun right. and exciting, and then your mm-hmm. other sets go away, where you do keep your storage, <laughs> and that's I it. Think that's great. I think that's great. Now, how have parents reacted to this? Because that's what therapists are going to say. You know how we are as a bunch. We are very analytical. And we almost play devil's advocate too much so that sometimes we think that there are going to be objections to our recommendations when a parent might not have any objections, yet we don't make it because we've kind of done that argument in our mind. So realistically, right. what's happened when you've implemented this method with parents, how they received it, and, and just kind of tell me a little bit about that. The first thing I would do, I always try to sell somebody on something before I sell them on it. So the first thing I would do, if I went into a play space and I was like, okay, this play space is a problem for sure, which is going to be most most homes you go into. Um, But I would probably actually bring my own toys, and I would probably Mm -hmm. not work in the play space. I would probably work in the living room. And when that parent says to me, oh, look, you know, Johnny plays so nicely with you. I would take that as my opportunity to say, you know what it is? I mean, it's several things. Obviously, we know that we, you know, hopefully know how to engage a child. But I would use that as an opportunity to already segue into one thing that really helps is that I'm only pulling out one toy at a time. Right. And so I would jump on that first as an opportunity. So I kind of set myself up for success to begin with. Mm -hmm. Then when I get to the playroom, there's kind of two parents. There's 
one parent that says, I know, I it overwhelms me, I don't know what to do with it, that's eager for the help. And right. then there's also parents who are going to be that, just like all of us, there's the, the toy hoarders. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, Granny bought that. Or, no, I spent a lot of money. You know, and they're not going to want to get right. rid of it. And right. so with that parent, it's going to be even more important for you to kind of set yourself up for success to show them that right. their child really will benefit from, from less is more. Right. Um, and and maybe to start small with them. And maybe not asking them to actually get rid of the toys, maybe asking them to just simplify the play space for a little while so that they can see how their child does. Right. Um, and that's so that's, nice that's how I would approach it. But as far as how parents have responded, there's a reason why this is the most popular post on my website. And it's because right. parents get that the toys are too much. They get it. And they, right. they, they're looking for a method for how to do it. So I think if you can give them a strategic plan or if you can help them even just do a little quick sort right there and you can help them see it, they're going to respond to it well. Now, the one thing parents then ask me follow up is, well, what do I do then? Like how often do I rotate? What do I do right. about the little pieces? You know, you have to help them kind of work through that. And, and my rule is if your child is starting to act bored, it's time to rotate. And I can usually, with my daughter, get away every three weeks or so. I don't, it's not something mm-hmm. I have to do every week. So. Now, how old is she now, Kim? She is three and a half. Okay, good. Good. So that's yeah. right in the age range of the parents and therapists who would be listening to this show, uh, since this is a birth to three, birth to three early preschool kind of show. So that's great. So about every three weeks, you're going to want to take the stuff away, bring out a new set. But really, and my daughter's the at the point now where she'll say, "Can we rotate my toys?" <laughs> <laughs> and her, my friends follow them too, and it's so funny because our daughters were playing together, and my daughter said where's your blah, 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 I can't remember what it was. And the other girl goes, oh, that's out of rotation. And my daughter goes, oh, okay. So your kids will get used to this, as weird as it sounds. It's pretty funny. That is really cute, really, really cute. You know, and if you do the work kind of ahead of time, and this is, I love how you explained that at the beginning with you would take your toys. Now, there are lots of states now who are, prohibiting, and my state is one of them, for therapists to work in early intervention. They don't want you to take your toys anymore. Because I know. They're saying, I know, and that's, I mean, that's a Use big the problem. Use the environment. So yeah. not about that. We're not going to go there. But it is a nice way to kind of talk about why you really can should bring your toys, and there's a clinical reason for that because you're really modeling how you would sort toys and begin to use this toy rotation system. So that's, again, if, another way to kind of get your foot in the door that way. Yeah, and if you really don't feel comfortable getting around that system, I would, what I would do is I would say, we're going to get started in just a few minutes. I want to just um, really quickly kind of see what toys you have and just pick a few things for my session. And, but I would have a bag with me, um, and yeah. I would take the things from the playroom and put them into a bag and only bring out one at a time still, as if I kind of brought them with me, um, and, well, and just I try to pick the best of the best. Advice. I think that's yeah. great advice, too. And a lot of times parents really will say, what is it about that toy bag? And I always say it's because they don't have access to it, and it, yes. it just becomes magic. It totally becomes magic because the child is more naturally engaged because he's waiting for, oh, my goodness, what cool thing's going to be next? And you can't yep. create that hype if everything is out, where everything is totally accessible. See, and that's what you just tapped into with the rotating toys, because guess what? You get that every time you rotate toys. Exactly. 
so it's like they're like, oh my god, here's my pony again, and and they were like so bored of that pony they didn't even want to see it anymore. And then you bring it out, you know, six weeks later, and guess what? Magic. Love so. it. Love the pony again. Yeah, and I do think a lot. This is an easy sell too for parents who feel like I don't want to keep having to buy this, you know, a new thirty dollar toy every couple of weeks because it looks like they don't want to play with any of their toys anymore. And you really do teach them how how children will feel as if it's a whole new experience when they haven't had it out for a while. Yep. But they won't see that unless you do it, unless you help them yep. do it. So great, great, great advice. All right, so what's next? So you've kind of talked about your toy rules, and then we've talked about making them in sets. And then we've talked about every three weeks or so we're going to rotate them. What are what's other advice that you share with parents? Um, well, there's a, you know there's a few things just like as far as details, as far as um, the the types of toys and how many children they have and all those kinds of things. So just a few of the details. Um, my general rule is on my website I write the older the child, but for speech pathologists I would say. The more complicated, it doesn't really matter the age, but developmentally, the more complicated the child's play and language, the more toys they can handle and the more pieces to those toys they can handle. Right. So, um, so if you're going to have a dollhouse for a child who only has, you know, uh, a, a couple word vocabulary, I might only put a doll, like a little small figurine doll and a bed in there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it super right. simple. Versus for a child who's three and a half and has a full, you know, vocabulary and has some nice, really good going pretend play, they might be able to mm-hmm. handle all of the furniture for the dollhouse. It just depends right. on how much you have. So I think that's so important, and it can go either way, because I really have seen therapists and parents, uh, but we're going to kind of focus on therapists here, kind of miss the mark with kids. They're either taking things that are, you know, for a child who's cognizant, whose cognition is moving right along. Maybe their expressive language is delayed, but cognitively they're, under, they're processing commands. They understand a lot. That receptive language is there, yet they try to do a, a one-hour session with some stacking rings, rings, a puzzle, and a book. And that's usually not going to work <laughs> because there's no. not enough to really engage that child and keep them wanting to play with you. So you end up looking boring because you didn't bring – materials that really met a child where they are developmentally and not just expressive language. You've got to kind of look at the whole piece there as far as what would keep a child wanting to do what you're doing together. Or I like your point about going too complex when they really should pull it back and and be simple so that the yes. child can understand and can process and, again, do do more things without continually redirecting your attention to new materials. Well, uh, the kind of premise of my whole website is called the fill the page theory. And all that means is that each child's brain is like a book and each page is a different word or concept. And that page is filled, meaning the child can use that word or concept when it's filled with marks and each mark is an experience. So, um, when I think about a child who only has a couple of words, if I put a bed in the house and we put the doll to sleep and tell the doll, shh, and then we say, it's morning, wake up, and they're going to think that's hilarious, right? And then I maybe hand the doll to them and see if they go to put the doll asleep and we say, 
go to sleep or sleep and shh. My point is you're going to be able to do that for a while potentially with that child if you're pretty animated and having a good time, and you're going to be filling their page. Um, If you bring the bed and the sink and the toilet and the daddy and the mommy and the dog and the mailbox, you're going to put marks on maybe – 15 different pages, but you're not going to get any pages filled, meaning you're not going to actually give that child a word that day. If you just bring the the baby in the bed, that child might leave that session with a word. A page might be filled that day. So, so yeah, that's just a concrete way that I get people to think about it. And um, and so, so what I would do is I might have the dollhouse furniture again in my bag. And if I don't know that child well or I'm not sure where they're going to go or you just don't know the kind of day they're going to have, I might have that other stuff, but I'm not going to pull it out yet, right? And if we get bed going or sleep going and we've got that going and they're starting to get bored with it, that's when you pull out the sink. Don't, you know, kind of hold your cards. So. Well, I think um, that's really good. And for therapists, you really need to kind of match that very common sense strategy with their fancier jargon. I mean, that really is what we think about with math practice. And you can think about yes. it from a, you know, from a receptive language standpoint, that's auditory bombardment. They've got to that's hear that is. word yep. over, <laughs> over and over again. And if you're at the point where you're focusing on that expressive language production or that talking piece, that's math practice because they can say baby or shh or night-night or whatever one of your little target words might be again, much more likely to happen when you have two or three little targets versus 35 different words in in one play experience. So I'm totally right there with you. I just want to be sure therapists can, again, take some – this is what we do as professionals. Sometimes we overlook very, very applicable, relevant strategies because we almost think it's got to be harder than that. Oh, well, I've been – I've been actually in a therapy gym. Um, my daughter is getting some, my baby is getting some physical therapy. And so I'm hearing a lot of therapy going on around me. And I yeah. see um, sometimes the therapist struggling when they're trying to meet goals. They're doing, um, like they were working on in and out and they were like looking at pictures of in of people in things and people out of things. And I'm like, you're in a therapy gym. Like, there's a tunnel there. Like, let's get out of the chair. Come on. Like, and I'm supposed to be, you know, not that's this is not what I'm supposed to be doing right now. But right. I'm supposed to be paying attention to my baby. But be a mom but there. I, yeah. I, right. It's hard not to be with my therapy hat on. But my point is just that, um, you know, the, the thing I wanted to do with little stories and and what we do. Um, is complicated. It, it, it's me- it but is. it's meant to not look complicated. Right. <laughs> and so some and you have people to work I really think... hard. Yeah, you have to work. I mean, as a therapist, all skilled therapists are working really, really hard to make yes. it look very, very easy. Yes. And so <laughs> the, the key to that, though, is finding the perfect balance between simplicity and still challenging that child. And and that's yes. what I think. It takes time to practice and, and also some out-of-the-box thinking. And that's what has helped me writing little stories and, and actually teaching parents. I think the more that speech therapists can learn to interact with, with families and parents, yeah. the more yeah. they have to articulate what they're doing in a meaningful way. And they have to get rid of the jargon and actually think about what they're doing. Because and why when you're you t- doing it and being able to explain that in a way that makes sense in a very everyday, common yeah. sense Real life approach, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. anyway, <laughs> oh. 
Sorry, that was my little speech therapist soapbox. No, but. I know, and I love that too. And let me just say, I love your point about you know trying to use pictures to teach things to toddlers when we really, really, really should be using real objects and real events. And to- I always say toddlers learn by doing. And so I-, I love that real life example with the in and out. And there's the tunnel sitting right there. You or know, read a book stuck. about in and out and then go yeah. do it. Like I'm not saying you don't need to use pictures sometimes or whatever, right. but, but try to put some context around it. I mean, language does not happen. I, pardon the pun, but in a tunnel, language yeah. has context <laughs> and meaning. And so exactly. read a book about it, then do it. Or right. something like that. Don't just look at pictures. I mean, who wants to do that? I don't want to do that. It's so boring. It's absolutely boring. But I think a lot of folks get kind of trapped into thinking. And a lot of parents will expect that therapy should look like that. So yes. that when you show up with lots yes. of toys and you don't have flashcards and you don't use lots of apps or whatever, they aren't expecting that. And so you have to really talk them through what you're doing and explain what you're doing, again, in a way that that's very understandable and very relatable, yet they know that you've got some uh, professional credibility there. And so yes. that you can back up all of the strategies that you're using with real science, but it has to make sense to them so that they know that they're able to carry this over at home and this is something that they participate in, not just something that that language is something that happens, you know, one time a week at Tuesday at 10 o'clock when the therapy appointment is. It's all the time. So I love that you I love that you gave that example and that you were sitting there thinking, why are you doing it that way when there are all these great experiences you could be uh, really sharing with that child that would make that more meaningful? Yes. So... Um, the, the last thing I was going to say is just that if speech therapists are helping parents do this in the home and they have more than one child, it, you know, there's again, there's no hard and fast rule about number of toys, but depending on how close developmentally the children are, they may be able to share toys. Or like if they're going to have a puzzle out and the kids are different ages, you might have you might put out two puzzles, one that's age appropriate for each child. And so that's really the only kind of other logistical thing about implementing this with families where there are, you know, different ages of of children, basically. That's a really good point, and I had not really thought about that. But as therapists, you know, the other thing that we can do when we're working with families, and I know that other therapists, I mean, we do this all day if if you're a therapist who does a lot of home visits, is you might take the same material. So it might be a puzzle, but with one child, you're just working on that receptively so that they're learning what the names of the pieces are. Another child who, again, might be the sibling, slightly older, maybe talking a blue streak so that you're, you've kind of moved on even beyond naming those pieces, but then you're talking about object functions and you're, you're doing multiple step directions. And so you really can take one toy and make it applicable to different ages just based on how mom and dad interact with that toy or kind of the slant that you're using when you play together. And, and we have to yes. all parents through this too. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that that's what, what you said is so important is to show a parent too that flexibility in how you can use a good toy in different ways. So with a, you know, a child, at, you might start off with the same puzzle and just be working on in, in, in. And I don't care if you say 
dog or cat or I could care less because that's not we're just on in okay because we need that high repetition and um, then three months later we might be working on you know dog and then maybe we we bring out the same puzzle three months later again hopefully and we're saying dog in or dog in the puzzle or whatever and so I think that's really important to show parents too because I don't think parents always think about they're like oh we use that puzzle for in and then they got that that's what they think of that as so I think it's really important like you said to show that to parents and I talk about that as bumping it up. And I say to parents all the time, okay, we're ready to bump it up now. We're going to use the same thing, but this is our new focus. And parents, again, really appreciate walking them through. And sometimes we don't, we, we, we assume because the parent is participating in a therapy session or watching a therapy session that they understand exactly what you're doing. And some, some things feel like, gosh, I don't want to talk down to that mom. But I've really found that even the most educated moms sometimes don't get really what we're doing because we don't as we go and we don't tell them what we're doing. And, again, they're not able to carry it over because they don't understand why we did it and kind of our our rationale behind it. So we've got to do a good job of talking to parents. And, again, I think they always appreciate that bump it up. Parents will say to me all the time, oh, I'm so glad you can bump it up today. And I always kind of snicker and think, gosh, that was funny. I like that that phrase, bump it up. (laughs) Yes. Because then they no, because like the parent wants to see their, their child now. It's like, okay, let's see what they can do at the next level. I mean, that's like the most exciting right. thing for a parent. So, yes. and, yeah. and, and I'm like you, to, I kind of always cringe when I hear a, a, a therapist say something like, well, we worked on plural S today, okay? And then that's like, that was their, like, I'm like, that parent, their I parent don't care. Education can, page. Yeah, <laughs> their, that parent could have a PhD in grammar and not know what that means as far as how to interact with their child around that, you know? So, so I think everybody, I mean, we've been doing this. um, We went to school for this. And so every parent needs us to kind of walk them through that. Every parent, even doctor mommies and daddies. And you, you and I've treated many, many, many physicians, children, but again, I'm saying, a lot of the same thing to a dad who's a neurologist or a radiologist or whatever, as I'm saying, you know, maybe a little, maybe a little bit different language here, but even, you know, to a mom who's totally different from that. And we've got to remember and not take for granted that, that people understand that and that they get that uh, because many, many, many times they don't. And they really appreciate someone kind of walking them through it. And, again, not in a condescending way. You'd never want to do no. it that way. You just want them to understand it so that they are able to carry on when you're not there anymore. And those are the kids that I think that we see, you know, our best case scenarios and our best outcomes when mom and dad start to feel really comfortable in this role and they're able to carry this stuff over uh, week to week to week. And those are the families that I just love to work with. But that, that really starts with us with doing that, taking the time to really explain what we're doing and why we're doing it so that a parent can buy into it, understand it, and then be able to duplicate it when we're not there. Yes. All right. Okay, so talk to us about what was our next thing we were going to talk about, Kim? I think there's one more thing that we haven't really talked about yet. I was trying to look. I feel like we've covered most of the toy rotation stuff. Um, I was trying to see if there was anything else. Oh, let me just say, I love the whole, let's back up and talk about, um, in this last 15 minutes, your whole, you've talked about it a little bit, but putting marks on the page, because I want therapists to be able to explain this to parents, because I think it's a beautiful analogy. 
I call it something a little different, and I love it when a therapist can kind of take take something and put their take the same theory and put their own spin on it. But for me, that really means meeting a child where he is developmentally, and so that again, we're not trying to. <laughs> Uh, be so complex that a kid can't really um, benefit and can't move on because we started at a level that's just they, they can't be successful. And I love some of the great parent stories that you have on your website. Like I was reading one last week where a mom talked about my little guy likes trucks. And so I read your website here about putting marks on his page and then I started noticing trucks everywhere and she gave mm-hmm. just a beautiful story about yeah. how successful that was so kind of what give, give us you gave us the short summary now kind of give us the longer version so therapists get that and understand what you're talking about and are able to share that information with parents okay so the way that I think about it if you think about the fill the page theory and we talked about you know if you have a bunch of the dollhouse furniture out you're going to put a couple marks on a bunch of different pages, but not a lot of marks on the same page. So that's kind of the fill the page theory. So the other thing that I talk to parents a lot about is picking their pages. And um, so as soon as parents think about, and and my rules for that um, are, I have rules for that too. I I make rules for everything just because. I love rules though. And, you know, this is how we as therapists kind of think. And honestly, Parents respond to that because otherwise it's too vague and too general. I mean, with advice like talk to your child, okay, I'll see you next week. Read to your baby, all right, be back next week. I mean, that's just that we have got to do better than that. <laughs> it it, it has to be concrete. <laughs> right. And right. so I just right. make rules. I take up the information that I have and, in, and turn it into rules, basically. So my yeah. rules for what is a good page, which means is a good word that you're going to focus on. This is every child I start with where I'm working on, on language, the first thing besides getting the environment straight, the, the next thing I will work on is what are we going to work on? And right. that's always – the parent's goal is always going to be expressive language, even if I know I need to do re- receptive exactly. language. I mean, And exactly. honestly, if you're working on filling the pages – you're going to be working on receptive language too because you're giving that child a lot of experiences with that word. That's what you're doing. So um, so a good page is motivating to the child, okay? I can want the child to know about, um, I don't know, a piano all I want. I think pianos are great, whatever. If the child doesn't care about the piano, the child is not going to talk about piano. And so what does the child want to talk about? I always find out from the parent, what is their favorite thing? You know, what do they like to play with, eat, whatever. Those are my words. Those are my first pages, always. A a good page is easy to fill with marks, meaning it needs to happen a lot. If I'm going to give the child experiences with it, just like you said with that mom, with the truck, she all of a sudden was like, okay, I can do truck. Like, truck is everywhere. And so she just went truck crazy. And then um, the last thing, and this goes back to my slams, soapbox but it's meaningful when it's used to communicate and this goes to to why i i don't want parents to focus on shapes colors letters and numbers until their child has a really really solid vocabulary because they need to have words that are meaningful and so once they pick their pages 
let me ask you Sorry, this, Kim, do you have a rule for that? Because I have a rule for that. I say, and I call that stuff academic language, and I say we are not going to work on academic language until the child is really, really talking. And to me, that means we've got an expressive vocabulary in excess of 50 words that they use spontaneously all the time and that they are starting to, on their own, generate some little phrase combinations. Because in I my was mind, just going to say, my rule is a two-word. If you can't say bear, then you don't need to say brown bear. I mean, it's, it's not go. meaningful. So that's my rule is you have to be solidly in the two-word phrase level. Yeah, that's yep. mine too. Okay, great. Yep. Good deal. Do you, we're on the same page. This is, we are. <laughs> and then the, I the one that. that yeah. I know, <laughs> look at that. <laughs> once, I, um, once I get parents to pick their pages, which they love, like they'll like, I have a little handout, and they put it up on the refrigerator, and they tell grandma, and they tell dad, and they love knowing what their pages are, and they're and that we're going to check back in next week and find out how it went. Yes. And sometimes you pick a bad page, and they're like, yeah, he just didn't care about that. And so you're like, okay, let's yeah. go back. I usually have them pick three to five, depending on where we are, you know, with whatever. And then um, well, we go back and revisit it. Once we're on that, then it's like, well, how do you actually fill the page, right? So how right. do you give the child right. those experiences? And that's where I talk about talk less, talk smart. And that's mm-hmm. where we get into the zone of proximal development, all that kind of stuff, kind of what you were talking about. And so and this is where I give the example of um, the milk mom. And um, so say the mom decides she wants to work on the word milk because her kid just mm-hmm. loves milk. Right. Well, if your child's not talking much, the first thing you tend to do is talk too much. And right. so you say, oh, you want some milk? Okay, let me get it out of the refrigerator. Oh, oh, ooh, well, hold on, I've got to pick this up. Oh, here it is. Okay, now let me pour it for you. Oh, maybe that poured too much. Okay, here you go. Well, if you actually wrote down what that m- mom said, if you took a language sample on her, on her yeah. um, phrases there, she actually didn't say the word milk that much. So right. she didn't put that many marks on that page because she's talking right. too much. Right. And so and, what and I want parents let me just say one quick thing. Yes. That's where when we say to parents, narrate whatever you're doing, just narrate your daily events. Sometimes no, that is crazy. horrible advice, yes. horrible advice for parents of children who are, first of all, struggling to talk, but secondly, especially for those little guys who are struggling to understand because it's too much blah, blah. I mean, you sound like the Charlie Brown teacher to them. They do not get it. And so then they kind of tune out language because mom isn't working, again, at a level where they can be successful and really start to make some connections and, and learn some word associations between what they're saying and what they're doing. So I think that's, I think this is a beautiful, beautiful example, but I just wanted to kind of interject that opinion. Carry on. And I agree 100%. <laughs> I, I feel I, I really worry about where par- people, the advice to parents now is just talk to them all the time. I don't agree with that. And I, my I advice it. is connect with them. Talk to them about what you all are actually doing in a meaningful way. Don't just throw language at somebody. I mean, that's, it's almost condescending. Like, I don't want to listen to somebody just talk all day. Like, talk to me, about me, with me, you know, like, let's engage in this interaction. And that's where I I think the focus needs to be much more on about the interaction than about the the talking, just like we want parents to focus on communication. So, um, so that's why I tell them talk less and talk smart. So the, the talk less part we've covered, but the talk smart part is say what you want to say. If you want your child to say milk, well, then say milk a lot. And, um, and say it 
at a level that is for your child. And so the zone of the prox- of proximal development, as we all know, is the inner, it's, you know, looks like that target. And the inner circle is what can your child do by themselves? Right. And the next level of that is what can they do with a little help? So if the child is at a one-word phrase level, then you can use two-word phrases. If they're at a two-word right. phrase level, then you can use three, so on and so on. Right. So that's the talk smart part of it. And so I just kind of use that um, as an example to to explain it to parents, to not only just throw language at their child, but to really take time to connect and when they do talk, make it meaningful. I think that's great, great advice. And I last week when I did a conference, I guess I think it was Louisville that this happened. A girl really did come up to me after the conference and she said, Gosh, I'm a brand new therapist and I I I did my CFY with adults and now I've moved to kids and I'm like, What the heck's going on? And I wanna say a lot of times that that really isn't even the same job. I don't even know how we can call an adult SLP SLP compared to what we do when we work with itty babies. But anyway, she was saying that she was really struggling with this piece with giving advice to parents because she didn't really know always to tell them. You know, she said, I, I read all this stuff that says that kids still need to hear those adult models. You know, how do you, how do you reconcile that piece of advice that they've got to hear adult models with simplify everything? And I always say parents, are they're going to hear adult models all day long anyway. I mean, yes. nobody ever really stays at that single word level because we all are conversational speakers. So don't worry about that part. That will happen anyway. Yes. But we've got to teach the simplification part because they're talking about the milk, but they don't say milk. And so we've yes. got to really help them get to that point where it's simple enough. And you can always make it more complex. And, and, and you don't want to talk to your child in a condescending way, but it's just we're, I'm here with you. I'm at your level. It's like right. just like if your child was having an emotional breakdown, you're not and a tantrum and flopping all around. You're not going to say, well, you know, it's just and give them some philosophical reason about why things happen in the world. <laughs> you're going to get at their emotional level and be like, I know, that was really crappy. I'm sorry. That was not fun, right. was it? So right. it's the same kind of thing. Be with your child. Yeah, and I love I love when you said uh, talk less, connect more. I mean that that's brilliant, Ken. I mean that's a whole we could do like six hours on that statement alone with just emphasizing the real connection piece and meeting them where they are, but doing it with fewer and fewer words. And I think you know part of that, like we've talked about, but that. Um, you know that anxiety that comes in, especially when a parent feels like their child isn't isn't developing the way maybe they think they should. And so sometimes the connection part falls to the wayside right. for the focus of teaching. Exactly. And my, my whole website, I just want parents to realize, like, no, because the connection is why there is language. There's exactly. no point to talk. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. Take a step back and focus on that first, and then the language will come. And a lot of times we really do have to point that out, and again, not in a way where we're being uh, hypo- uh, uh, not meaning hypocritical, where we're not being aggressive and where we're not, I think you've used the word condescending, but where we're not telling a parent or making them feel stupid like you've done this all wrong. We've just got to help them realize, gosh, the the you know, this basic reason that you want them to learn how to say these words is so they can interact better with you. But we've got to start with that 
connection and that engagement and, again, interaction, all those big, big words which just mean you want to be with your kid and your kid wants to be with you. And sometimes, again, we have to kind of point that out to parents because they don't You know when you tell parents that? When, when I tell them, I don't want you working on speech. I want you playing with your child, being with your child. They actually feel really relieved. They're they like, totally oh, really? Do. Yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, at first they're, like, not really sure. They're like, does this woman really know right. what she's talking about? Yeah. But as I can show them over time, like, right. no, really, they, they feel relieved because that's what a parent really wants to be able to be as a parent. So. Exactly. And sometimes, though, their idea of play, I mean, we really have to model that for them and we really have to show them how to do it because sometimes parents have a really different idea of what play looks like and it would be light years away from what we think about a a great play experience being. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I really want to emphasize that, too, because like in my state, in Kentucky, they're really, with this early intervention system, moving toward a parent consultation model, which means therapists do less and less direct treatment, which means a lot of times they're really talking to parents about what they should do, and then parents are still confused because they've never seen anybody do it. Do it, yeah. Do it, you know, and, and forget whether it's correctly or whatever. They just don't know what the heck they're supposed to do. And so when somebody says to them, I want you to play with your child more, and again, okay, great, that's it for today. See you next week. They don't really know what you're talking about. Until it's the same like, thing as like, hey, yeah. we're working on plural S. I mean, yeah. they don't know. <laughs> that. Yeah. They don't know. And so you've got to be able to show them that. And with good results. And, and a lot of us, again, work really hard to make it look easy. And yep. so you've got to practice your craft. So that you know what you're can doing. It, when you're can playing. you can break it down yeah. still? I have right. um, one little thing. I don't know if you have time, but I have one little technique that that I use that I teach parents. That's that's a, a play thing that they can really latch on to. And this is for your your um, you know just your early language kids that are just starting to talk. If you have time for right. me to share that real quick, I don't know. Oh, I'd love it. Go ahead. We're not okay. gonna this this runs until I push in the episode, so go right okay. ahead. <laughs> so I call it the I hold you talk technique, but um, it's what every speech therapist does. I mean, you do it so second nature. It's because like, everything's in your bag, right? You don't just go in and show right. up and dump out your bag. <laughs> so and if you are you doing do, that, you need to stop that immediately today. <laughs> don't. Yeah. You can't give away all your goodies. You got to keep your stuff. Then there's so, no motivation to include you. Yeah. Exactly. So I um I used a puzzle as an example because that's like a classic. So usually when I watch a parent play with a puzzle, they um you know dump out all the pieces and then they just watch their child put the puzzle together. Right. And as you said, the child has absolutely no reason to talk to the parent. Maybe the parent is, you know, giving some some talk about what the child's doing, but there's not an actual interaction going on. And that's what we're always looking to create as an interaction. And so um, I encourage the parent to take all those puzzle pieces and just gently put them in their lap and offer the child a choice. Um, And so what I call it is I hold, I hold all the stuff that you want and you talk, I hold you talk. And so you wait until the child does a little bit of something. And if it's a word, if it's a reach, whatever it is that's within that child's zone of proximal development, and then you give them what they want and then you repeat and you get that repetition. And so it's just a concrete way um, that I hold you talk. And I, I have some images of it that parents can understand. Oh, okay you're structuring play just a little bit to get a little bit more language out of it and to insert that parent into the play interaction. And that's it. 
I think that's a great way to explain that. And again, withholding, that's a technique all of us use all day, every single day, but we don't always know how to talk to parents about it and how to teach a parent to do it. But sometimes then a parent will take it kind of a little bit too far so that yes, they're yes, using yes. the word you know, five times when there's no way the kid is ready to do that because there's absolutely no hint that imita- verbal imitation has emerged yet, yet they keep doing the same thing over and over and over. So it it is a great way to kind of talk about it and teach it and structure it. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. I knew that I was going to love talking to you today just from reading your website, but, boy, I'm so glad that you came on and and shared your your story with us about how, how you do it. I do think all of us as therapists, again, even if we're doing some of the same things, just to hear somebody else put a slant on that and, and how you teach it and how you say it, Helps so so much, and the Twitter yeah, because I'm using I'm using your phrase "bump it up" now. I <laughs> I love that one. I love it. So I think it's a good yeah. way to explain. And I love I hold you talk because it really does give a parent a job when they're there, just rather than the whole narrate, 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 narrate. When and the whole you know talk less, connect more. I think you say talk less talk smart but I like talk less connect no, I, more. I say that too yes no yeah yeah I love that and those are great ways to explain those kinds of things and again sometimes the best information we get from another therapist is just how do I how do I share this with a parent and so thank you thank you thank you for coming on today and thank your you website so much it was a blast <laughs> it was fun wasn't it I, again I knew I was going to like you just from reading your stuff uh, again, Kim's website is Little Stories, and it's thelittlestories.com. And again, Kim, you're going to have to check out what it show if you leave out the the what it what website kind of. I know, I will. I'm curious now. <laughs> A little racy there, yeah. But read Kim's stuff. It's a great way to spend an afternoon or a day where you're kind of looking for some new things to talk to parents about. And, again, the toy rotation stuff is just fabulous. I love those ideas, and I'll be sharing that information with all the families I work with. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'd love to have you back later. So in six months or so, we're going to check in with you and see what else you've, what other brilliance you've come up with. That you're doing sounds, sounds fun. Thanks so much. All right, that's all for today's show. I hope you'll join me next week when I'm going to finish up that series on toys for kids, ideas for kids who just like toys, and that'll be our last show for 2014. Thanks so much. Have a great day.